Uh, most dirt is outside. Birds have birthdays. Eggs come in at least three sizes. Hooves are worse hands. There are animals who like thistles. Uh, something about lawnmowers. What about sea cucumbers? Right? Sea cucumbers? So many stars! <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 39th episode of Out of All Doors. I'm your host, Adam Drent. And Out of All Doors is a podcast about the outdoors that isn't quite falling apart fast enough. Not fast enough to suit me, anyway. So we're going to be taking some steps to pick up the pace around here. Now, I'm thinking accelerationism isn't enough. So I'm coining a term, a term that I am not typing into Google to see if it already exists. And that term is hyperaccelerationism, which is like accelerationism, but more so. If the whole point is to crash as soon as possible so our new, better form can emerge from the wreckage, wouldn't it make sense to get to that crash even faster than our current pace will get us there? Instead of merely accelerating, why not hyper-accelerate? For those of you too dense to grasp what I'm saying, let's say you're traveling toward your doom at one mile per hour. Well, increasing your speed to two miles per hour would technically be accelerationism, right? But if you know you're going to end up at your doom anyway, and that the trip itself is going to be boring and uncomfortable, you could increase your speed to, say, 20 miles per hour, or 100 miles per hour, or 1,000 miles per hour, and that would be hyper-accelerationism. Look, here's what I'm saying. This is going to be the worst episode of Out of All Doors of all time, because frankly, we've got to get this current incarnation of the show buried, sans eulogy, as quickly as possible. I'd rather just rip the band-aid off and then, and I know this isn't usually part of the metaphor, bleed out. So regarding The Dawn is Back, I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm sure I can trust Cousin Ben and Dwayne to do their part for hyper-accelerationism without having to be asked. Contributor Andrew's thing is too good for hyper-accelerationism, but frankly, with as bad as the rest of this stuff is going to be, I don't think there's much chance that he's going to be able to single-handedly slow our descent. And what could be a worse use of the introduction than reading a long letter from some guy named Leonard who seems to have written in mostly to say he doesn't enjoy flying? So that's what I'm going to do. I'm a little worried that making it clear that all of this is bad on purpose might end up making it less bad and therefore less hyper-accelerationist than I intended, but I'm trying to balance those concerns with concerns that there will be no audience left to appreciate the beautiful new form that Out of All Doors takes after its current form completely implodes. So I'm trying to make sure you all understand that there's a method to this madness, and that while there's certainly no hope for the immediate future, there is hope for the less immediate future. So anyway, here's this letter from Leonard. Uh, Dear Adam in the Out of All Doors community, I have been wanting to write this letter for quite some time now, but up until recently, I haven't had the courage to do so. I wanted to send you all my thanks, my sincerest thanks for helping me this past year. You have no idea how much you've meant to myself and my family. You see, a little over a year ago, I was given a promotion at work, big new responsibilities, and a substantial raise in pay. I am employed at one of the largest banks in the world. I won't mention the name of my employer here for fear of embarrassment. I would never be able to live this down. The only catch with accepting the promotion was that I would have to travel a lot. I'd be traveling around the world around 50 to 60 times per year. Sounds amazing, right? Who wouldn't want to see the world? Who wouldn't want to be a globetrotting, high-paid executive? Well, me, that's who. Please don't mention this to anyone because no one knows this, not even my wife. Before I could reject the position, she had phoned her whole family. She was very proud of me. My father-in-law actually said something nice about me, so I had to take the job. I had to, Adam. I just had to take it. What's the big problem, you may ask? I have a fear of flying. Actually, fear is putting it mildly. It's more like crippling terror. Where does this anxiety come from? I have no idea. I have just always known that I was going to die in a plane crash. It was inevitable. It was my fate, my destiny. If I get on a plane at some point, I would perish in a cataclysmic explosion over the Rocky Mountains. However odd or irrational this may seem, it isn't abnormal to myself. This is the reality I live in. 
How did I deal with it? How did I function? How did I manage to keep my job? In the beginning, it was an absolute disaster. The first flight I went on was a short one. If I remember right, it was from Chicago to Minneapolis. I don't recall much about the flight other than upon takeoff, I clung to the person sitting next to me, a complete stranger, and screamed the entire flight. To this day, I feel sorry for that elderly woman sitting next to me. The second and third flights were more the same, takeoff and screaming, takeoff and screaming. The airlines threatened to be uh, to ban me from flight. So I knew something had to be done. The fourth flight, I took an Ambien but fell asleep in the terminal and missed my flight. The fifth flight, I decided to get drunk, but in my case, drunk and panic don't mix well. And it made everything amplified. Instead of screaming, I just bawled my eyes out and told everyone on the plane how I regretted everything I had ever done in my life and that it was sad that we were all going to die in this plane crash. United Airlines banned me from flying with them for six months. I was doomed. I was going to lose my job and probably my marriage. I would be one of the greatest losers in long in the long history of losers, all because I couldn't get over my fear of flying. I went to psychiatrists who told me to visualize a smooth and successful flight, that all this anxiety was in my head, but all I could think about was the exit door opening up during the flight and sucking me and my seat out of the plane, and how I wouldn't pass out, time would slow down, and I would just keep falling and falling in slow motion to my ruin below. I would be fully cognizant upon impact. But when all hope was lost, I found out of all doors, I was getting ready for work uh, with a I was getting ready for working with a client in Amsterdam. It would be a long flight. I had no idea how I was going to manage it. My contact person was a gentleman by the name of Adam Grant. Odd last name, I thought. I decided maybe I should Google him and get a heads up before working with him. When I typed his name on my laptop, I misspelled Grant, and uh, instead I typed Drent. I had no idea that a, mis that a spelling mistake would change my life forever. Google revealed to me that Adam Drent was the creator of a podcast called Out of All Doors. I was intrigued by the clever title, so I thought I'd give it a listen. I was hooked instantly. The next day, when my flight left for Amsterdam, I should have been in terror, but I wasn't. My obsession for this glorious podcast outweighed my dread. And when the plane took off, I didn't think about certain death. I thought about pseudo-Dionysus. I thought about corndog. When the beverage cart came by, I didn't order eight small bottles of bourbon. I listened to the ghost bat queen and contemplated my own outfit of a day. When the captain started speaking, I didn't listen to a word he said. I just laughed at Lil Dollop and quietly sang it's in the sauce to myself. Instead of thinking about crashing into the ocean and being eaten by a shark in frozen Atlantic waters, I wondered how G-Honey only got nine weeks in prison for assaulting his sister. In place of my fear of terrorists taking over the plane, I could compare Cousin Ben's poetry to listener Andrew's prose. I stopped fearing about getting some highly contagious disease from sitting to the passenger from sitting... I stopped fearing about getting some highly contagious disease from sitting by the passenger next to me and focused on Cayman's gripping investigative journalism on hermits and hobos. I didn't imagine geese flying into the plane engine anymore. I thought about how to fix the underappreciated nature segment. It was beautiful, all of it. This amazing podcast saved me. I got over my fear of flying and am now a well-adjusted human being. So I say thank you. Thank you all. Thank all of you contributors. Thank you out of all doors. You are my saviors. I have often wondered, why this podcast? Why does it soothe my soul as I fly 35,000 feet above the land? Why does it calm me down? What's so special about Out of All Doors? I think maybe it's because there's not much talk about flying, with the exception of the battery, of course. But as far as I know, bats never crash, or do they? Adam, do bats crash? Do they? Has a bat ever died from crashing? Oh my goodness, what if they do crash? Sincerely, Leonard Hubbard. Um, I don't think I was supposed to read his full name. Well, maybe I'll go back and edit it out. Although, not editing it out would probably be more in the spirit of hyper-accelerationism. Anyway, to answer your question, Leonard, no, bats don't crash. But if they had passengers like planes do, for example, they probably would crash. Killing everyone on board like what happens when planes crash. So if the reason you were asking was because you were wondering if traveling by bat would be safer than traveling by plane, then I guess my answer is no. They're probably equally deadly in that regard. Also, for the record, I only have a dim memory of who Pseudo-Dionysus is. I know he has something... He was... I know he was something from this show, but I can't remember what. And I'm sure I've never heard the name G-Honey before in my life. I have no idea where that could have come from. Maybe in his terrified state, Leonard's hallucinating content for the show. I don't know. Anyway, I think this intro has been sufficiently bad to give us a nice start on hyper-accelerationism, so I'm just going to conclude with an open invitation to the ghost to chime in and ruin things further whenever it feels like it, because now is definitely the time for detrimental supernatural interference. Let's begin, shall we?
We are in a bad place. A boring place. Seriously, it sucks. It's very boring. We do not expect to encounter the battery here, of all places. Bats would never come here of their own will, and bats are too smart to be tricked into going anywhere. So, yeah, we're not going to be entering the battery anytime soon. We wish we could. We would gladly enter the battery. But there just isn't one convenient. There's an attic, and it's got no bats in it. Everyone hates it. You'd be shocked at how unappealing this attic is. Exposed insulation, a hole where squirrels come in and disturb human sleep with scurrying feet overhead. This attic has no character. It's like an attic as rendered by a person with no imagination who one day decides to be an artist on a whim, and you should see how this hack holds the pencil. You should see how long he keeps it jammed inside of the electric pencil sharpener, just letting it grind away while other people in the room are trying to watch TV, are trying to hear the good lines that someone with actual talent took the time to write down in a script. This is the attic that cannot appear in dreams. This is the attic they use to cure people who don't know how to harbor grudges against rooms. Sometimes this attic grumbles like a hungry stomach. This house should be scalped. That or get some bats in this attic. There's a cave and it's got no bats in it. People are sick and tired of this cave. Why can't it get its act together? How many chances does it need? How many chances does it deserve? A little more time, a little more time. That's all anyone's been hearing for years. Well, time's up. Basically every other cave in the world has managed to absolutely fill itself with bats, but this one thinks it deserves special considerations. But guess what? This cave doesn't want bats. If it did, it would have them. It would have had them long ago. It's that simple, and people are done with its excuses, done with its teary-eyed pleas for deadline extensions. This cave is committed to one thing and one thing only, being the worst cave of all time. Why would any cave want that distinction? The world may never know, but this cave has managed to cling to that very title for decades now. But again, time's up. It can either accept the massive colony of bats today, or it can get filled all the way in with gravel. Those are its options. There's a school field trip with no scheduled stop at the bat sanctuary. The students are livid, livid and disappointed. The bus is going right past the bat sanctuary. The kids are going to be able to see it through the bus windows from the highway. It's great black dome looming above the thick bare branched forest that surrounds it. But nope, the field trip isn't going there. It's going to see how the sewage treatment plant works. And all the kids have been warned not to make any comments about how bad it smells. In fact, they've been given a handout with a very short list of comments they are allowed to make, such as interesting and fascinating and so that's how it works, and I expected it to smell much worse here. This field trip is going to suck, and it's not like every field trip has to be to the bat sanctuary. Not every field trip has to be about bats. There's more to life than bats. The battery understands that. The battery has always understood that. But that being said, the bus is going right past the bat sanctuary on the way to and from the sewage treatment plant. That's two chances to stop at the bat sanctuary. And frankly, who cares how sewage gets treated? If I can get autobiographical for a second here, I went to the sewage treatment plant for a school field trip when I was in second grade. The plant was in Kendallville, Indiana. It was the first field trip I had ever been on because second grade was my first year in public school. And do you know what information I retained from that field trip? That sewage treatment plant smelled bad. That's it. So it was basically useless. And we didn't drive right past a bat sanctuary twice on our way to and from the sewage treatment plant. So imagine this field trip, right? Imagine these kids. Imagine how poor their delivery of their pre-approved comments is going to be. Interesting. So that's how it works. That's what it's going to sound like. There's a book that's ostensibly about bats, but when you open it up, it's actually a novel about a guy who travels back in time to the days of the American cowboy and ends up getting hanged for accidentally saying the word download and freaking everyone out. This probably doesn't even need to be said, but this book is absolute trash. Just absolute trash. Now, some may argue that what happened was just that someone put the wrong dust jacket on the book. They put the bat book dust jacket on the time-traveling guy who says download and gets hanged book. And sure, that's plausible, except for one thing. The dust jacket fits perfectly. Fits as if made for this exact book. Fits as if made to deceive, made to lie. The book has no mention of bats. It's been checked thoroughly by a team of literary experts. There isn't even any figurative language that references bats, such as 
Like a bat, he screamed into the night at a pitch beyond the ability of human ears to perceive. That line is not in the book. And there aren't any elements that might be metaphors for bats, or any plot points that could be read as symbolic of the plight of the bat. Nor is there a character named Bat, or Bats, or Flying Fox, not even a middle name. Unless it's one of the middle names that isn't revealed. But no, upon reflection, the book gives the middle name of every character. So, unless we've got an unreliable narrator on our hands who tells us the wrong middle name of the character whose real middle name is Bats, then that's a dead end, too. It's a little surprising that this book hasn't caused a riot, but if you'd like to use this segment as a means of inciting you to riot, please, be my guest. There's a segment about bats that has no bats in it, just a chronicle of places where bats should be but aren't. It's atrocious, the worst installment of that segment ever. It could only be the product of its creator's deliberate attempt to euthanize something sickly, something lingering in an unseemly fashion. But it's hollow, it's trite, it's a waste of audible space. And it's a violation of trust. It's a betrayal of its own adherence. It's a betrayal of bats. Disgusting. It doesn't even meet the standards of its own name. Regardless of motive, whoever made it should be punished, and punished painfully. A lesson must be learned, preferably the hard way. The ends do not justify the means. Maybe sometimes they do, but in this case, they do not. We shuffle our feet, hands in pockets. <coughs> the moment of leaving the battery is always sad, but how much worse to have never entered? Well, we're finding out how much worse. It's actually a lot worse. A lot worse. We wonder when and or if we'll be entering the battery again. Next month? Two months from now? More? Never again? Because for now it seems like we're stuck here in this awful place, this place with no battery. And we can't leave yet. We just have to hope we all hit bottom soon. Surely the battery will survive, right? It'll be waiting for us on the other side. A familiar and welcome part of this theoretical new form? We fear for, and miss, the battery. So, we're here on the Underappreciated Nature segment with, well, something that isn't exactly from nature per se, but as a sort of representative of nature, it's certainly part of nature. And I don't think there's going to be any disagreement about the fact that it's underappreciated. Today, we're speaking with the podcast called Out of All Doors. Out of All Doors? Welcome to Out of All Doors. Thanks, Adam, I guess. You guess? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm fully aware that this is the hyper-accelerationist episode, and obviously this is one of the most notoriously dysfunctional segments in the history of the show, so what's going on here is pretty clear. You're hoping and fully expecting this to be a fiasco, so it'll help destroy me faster. Uh, well, did you really expect me to not realize that? How would I not be aware of that? I mean, to the extent that any of this makes sense. So, you're insulted? Because as I've explained over and over, we're doing this with your best interests in mind. Are you? Am I really going to exist anymore after all this is done? Will this new form that's going to follow me be me? Or will it just be a replacement with the same name? Like, look, I'm not saying I don't have problems, but I like me, and there's no afterlife for podcasts, so you might just be sending me to a void, to nothingness, but you excuse it all because you say I'm, quote, doomed. You've decided that I can't be fixed, but have you really tried? No, because you're too excited by the prospect of a blank slate. But what you don't get is that I don't care about my legacy. I want to exist. I'd rather exist in an imperfect state than be hurried into annihilation. Okay, but we don't know that you'll be annihilated. It might just be more like a makeover. Who doesn't like a good makeover? Sure, it might be like that. But the point is that I don't know and neither do you. But you don't care. You're willing to risk it because it doesn't affect you. Not like it affects me. And even if you knew for sure that you were ending my existence, you'd still go through with this hyper-accelerationism thing, wouldn't you? Of course, you'd never admit it. You'd tell me it's probably going to be more like a makeover no matter what you knew. Because you're already fixated on that new form. To you, it's already here. It's already real. And you're not going to deny that to yourself no matter what it means for me. You're not going to back out now. You're not going to try to pull up or ease off the gas. 
You're not going to try to help me. You're sick of me. I'm an obstacle in your way. I'm just an impediment. You can't even look straight at me. <laughs> Wait, who said that? Was that me or you? Oh, man, I did it again. I played both parts, and now we can't tell who's who. Look, don't insult me. You know who's who. Uh, yeah, I'm out of all doors, right? Isn't that who I am and you're Adam? This is pathetic, Adam. Pathetic and transparent. The interview is making you look bad, so you're trying to force it into becoming the fiasco you were hoping for. Well, I I'm not going to play along. So you're saying I'm Adam? I could have sworn I was out of all doors and you were Adam. <laughs> oh, what a mess. Look, if you're going to destroy me, at least do it with dignity. I'm doing my best to maintain my dignity. The least you could do is try not to drag me down with you. Why would you, Adam, think that Out of All Doors is trying to destroy you? You're not playing the character properly unless I'm Adam? You are Adam! I'm Out of All Doors! We both know that and never haven't known that! <sighs> All right. Congratulations, you made me snap. So there, you got what you wanted. I'm out of here. Wait, no, we have to finish the interview. We just need to figure out who's who, and then we'll be back on track and... <laughs> just shut up, okay? It's not enough to kill me. You have to desecrate the corpse, too. You have to dance on my grave, deface my headstone. I'm leaving. Ah, man, wow. What a disaster. This has to have been the worst underappreciated nature segment yet. What a disaster. What an objectively terrible segment. Hello, listeners. This is contributor Andrew returning again for another prose poem. I'm sure some of you are wondering, Andrew, is there anything that you don't like about the podcast? I mean, would you say you disagree with Adam on anything at all? And to that I would say yes, obviously. For instance, Adam has taken on the accelerationism phase of the podcast and believes that this era has to end and so a new era of the podcast can be ushered in, which I would disagree with. I think the podcast is great. The podcast has always been fine, apart from a couple of bad apples spoiling the bunch. So if you asked me what the best thing for the podcast would be, it would be to replace some contributors with, well, I'll just say it, better ones. Anyway, let's begin, shall we? The car came to a jerking stop in the space between the two fences that marked the Turkish and Bulgarian border. Each time as a car would roll through the checkpoint and another would pull forward Cousin Nikolai's Little Lotto, with its sticky brakes, would charge forward and slam to a halt. It was a warm spring day, and the light rain that was falling did nothing to reduce the heat and only made the air thick and muggy. The heat in the car was turned all the way up to try and draw heat from the engine, which had a history of overheating. And there were four of us dressed like little marshmallows in our winter shell coats and six layers of progressively larger pairs of blue jeans. Everyone wanted Turkish blue jeans as they were much higher quality than those made in China, which were only sold to us because they were so cheaply produced that no American importer would buy them. At that time, it was illegal to purchase jeans from Turkey for the purpose of reselling. However, it was perfectly legal to purchase souvenirs on vacation, and so the law stated that apparel could only be brought into the country provided you were able to wear it on your person. Likewise, the importation of tobacco was highly regulated, and no cartons of cigarettes could cross the border, but carrying an individual pack was permitted. 
cousin Nikolai holding the fat stump of his cigarillo and the fat stumps he called fingers was drenched in sweat and pulling cartons of cigarettes out of the sleeves of his shell coat. He arduously opened a carton with his wet hands and dumped the individual cigarette packs onto the floor of the car and flung the crushed empty box out the window. The rest of us, myself, Vanya, and the half mac Michael, did the same. The view from the window was a truly stunning vista of mud and cigarette cartons, a monument made by man's machinations to obey the letter and not the spirit of the law. At some point, Mihai made the statement that he needed to use the restroom, which made me nervous, though I did not have to say anything, as the only person I've ever known to possess a nature more fretful than mine was Cousin Nikolai, who shouted from the window as the door slammed behind Mihail. Aida, make it quick or you can walk to Sofia. Several jerking stops in the line later, Mihail came scrambling back up the embankment that made up the drainage ditch on the near side of the road. He was covered head to toe in mud and filth. He silently got back in the car, Vanya unable to hold in his glee asked what had taken him so long. An exasperated Mikhail relayed that having finally freed himself from the half dozen or so layers of pants, found the sodden mud and cardboard slipping from beneath him. He slid from the top of the ditch down to the puddle by the road with his pants around his ankles. He said if we were going to laugh at him for it, we might as well get it over with. Vanya and I were beside ourselves with laughter as Mihai began to shed the outermost pair of blue jeans and prepare to throw them out the window, but Nikolai could have turned red and began shouting, What are you doing? They began arguing whether Mihai should sit in the muddy jeans across the border or whether they should be abandoned, but eventually, after threatening to turn the car around and drive back to Istanbul, Mihail put the jeans back on just before we reached our turn at the checkpoint. Nikolai handed the Bulgarian soldier the stack of our passports, which were all real save for Vanya's, which was Ukrainian and fake, with several euros tucked in it. The guards found us just as amusing as we did, all of us sweaty and red in the face, ankle-deep in cigarettes, and Mihal more damp mud than man. They stamped our passports unenthusiastically and raised the gate. This month, the gentlemen went digging through the depths of the gentlemen's mill's warehouse and found the remnants of their least popular items of all time. Freshly scraped from the very bottom of the barrel, these items are the very worst the gentlemen have to offer. True mistakes of the mills. We dare you to buy them. Number one, Bigorette. This item is bigger than a cigarette, but smaller than a cigar. You can't really become a Bigorette addict because there's only the one. Chip off the new block. This play on words, which got a huge laugh when it was originally proposed during Gentleman's Mill's research and development, disappointingly resulted in a final product that's just a little chip of cement, which is not funny, useful, or anything. Coach Whistle. Guaranteed to be louder than any of your players or equipment manager's whistles. Leg Bower. Walk like a cruel parody of a cowboy with the Gentleman's Mill's leg bower. People will think you've spent your whole life a horse, riding here and there. You'll seem saddle sore. Stolen Proper Tea. Another delightful play on words that again garnered actual shouts of admiration when first proposed, but the end result is just a stolen t-shirt with the word proper printed on it. Hair Horridiner. This difficult to say beauty product, when applied to hair that is not horrid, makes that hair become horrid. This could be useful in a most horrid hair contest, or if you told your child you couldn't attend their Little League game because your hair was too horrid, and now they're hitchhiking back to the house to check and see if your hair is really that horrid. Cut brake line from a car. We're marketing this item, which admittedly may have killed someone, as a good luck charm. Polywant A. Cracker. 
This toy parrot has a long name that, if examined closely, will reveal its deepest desire. Hint, its middle initial may double as an indefinite article. Chapter Book for Intermediate Readers Psycho Teeth This is a mouthpiece that you insert to make it appear as if you have the relatively normal-looking teeth of a total psychopath. Some have noted that only a psycho would buy and use this product, which would mean that their real teeth are the teeth of a psycho. But the gentlemen reject this notion out of concern for lost revenue. Shade Lamp Take this massive sunlight-blocking lamp to the beach with you to use instead of an umbrella. Umbrellas are for rain. Shade lamps are for shade. Note, shade lamp is not a functioning lamp. Dirt Dowsing Rod Well, this dowsing rod will lead you right to the nearest dirt. 3D Glasses These glasses possess height, depth, and width. The gentlemen understand that this joke has almost certainly been made elsewhere before, but the additional joke to these glasses is that the insides of the lenses are mirrors, which makes them unnerving to wear. Steer Mate Attach this device to your vehicle's steering wheel, and it'll try to figure out if you're steering badly. If it decides you are, it'll actively fight against your every turn of the wheel, but never so forcefully that you can't overcome it with a strong will. More like Vigil Canty. This service undermines the vigilante in your life, ensuring that their efforts at outside-the-law justice will come to nothing. This product was unpopular because the vigilantes were too smart for us, but we're always willing to try again. Regarding the dawn. Hi, Mom! This, this month... month well, hold up, Brooks? Your mom knows how to use the internet? Of course. She's really into technology. I mean, she's a quantum mechanic for some truck shop called NSA Auto in Washington, D.C. Ooh, maybe we can go visit her while we are traveling. What? what? Yeah! Oh, she'd love that! Well, wait, I don't Okay, know. I can't wait to see the Washington Monument when we go whoa, there. Whoa, and whoa, we... whoa, guys, guys, chill out. There is a lot of gasoline and candy bars from here to D.C. Let's just concentrate on making money to keep traveling first, okay? Okay. All right, so uh, back to the podcast then? Right. Okay. So this month we are going to give you listeners a special behind-the-scenes look at what goes on in the super-secret world of professional wedding photography. And I'm going to help! Uh, yes, but only when we tell you to, right? Oh, yeah, right. Listeners, as you know... We have not been full-on commercial photographers in any capacity before, but the reality of being on the road and needing income has brought us to the shockingly obvious realization that, hey, we have cameras. We can shoot weddings just like anyone else. Let's go make some easy money. Yep. So we are now traveling wedding pros, and we are currently sitting in a parking lot waiting to start a very special meeting, the sacred meeting between potential bride-to-be and the wedding photographer who is trying to get hired. Wow! Wow, indeed. This is going to be very special for many of you listeners out there, because we are going to bring the recorder along and let you hear the whole interaction so that you can see how amazing cutting-edge outdoor photography artists like Dwayne and I sell our particular style of nature-based wedding photography to a bride who has most certainly never seen our completely original style before. That's right. This is where the human element of a photography professional really comes into play. We are going to use our people skills to gently steer her from her ignorant and misguided Pinterest-infected notions of what beautiful wedding photography looks like. And to bring her to the realization that a completely original, nature-oriented wedding photography style is the only way to go if she ever wants to look back at her wedding photos in 20 years without feeling crippling shame, disgust, and regret. Mm. Wow, you guys really take this stuff seriously, don't you? Art is the most serious business, Brooks. Uh-huh. Can we go in and get some bagels yet? Ooh, yeah! <sighs> Brooks, grab the recorder. Bagels, bagels, I like bagels. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
So I put my hands up to play in my song. The butterflies fly away. Nodding my head like yeah. Moving my hips like yeah. I got my hands up to play in my song. No, I'm gonna be okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a party in the USA. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a party in the USA. Oh, there you are, dude. Order a bagel. Cool. Here, hold this. Oh, man, you got the recorder wet. And, uh, three almond macro raccoons with macaroon dude macaroon yeah three of those two with extra maple syrup and mayonnaise gross did you text her yeah dude like 20 times she said she's on her way she's not getting here any faster if i text her more sorry sir i'm just i'm just nervous look amanda i am on the way fine fine jeez are you gonna finish that what? Oh, no, here, here you go. Oh, yeah, come to Papa. How how does somebody miss their appointment by, by 50 minutes? I, I mean, what? Oh, oh, she says she's finally here in the parking lot. Finally! There she is. Wait, who's that guy with her? Probably her fiancé. Why would she bring him? This doesn't concern him. Oh, Brooks, uh, I just remember, um, can you go sit in the car for a bit? We need to just um, feel out the customers first. What? Come on, man. Yeah, man, uh, just uh, let us see how this goes first. We'll uh, we'll bring you in if we need you. Oh, man, that's cold. And then we have 45 cages with Mob and Tope airbrushed live parakeets in them hanging over the conversation space. Oh, that sounds amazing. Doesn't it, though? Well, are, are you sure we want 45 cages? Damien, finish your macchiato in medium sips, not small ones. Remember how I taught you? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that all just sounds so totally totes. But but you know what sounds more amazingly amazed than that? Uh, well... So picture this. 60-foot tall trees, but the top 40 feet have been totally stripped of the foliage, foliage and, and a small, roughly graded clearing that we make with a D7 caterpillar. With all the trees knocked down, we push them back to the outside of the clearing. We use the cat's frost teeth to tear up the ground about, like, three feet deep or so. Dude, where are you going with this? And then the tree trunks become a huge walled corral for the torn up pit. And then um, we- Yeah, no. That doesn't sound like that's gonna play well on all my feeds. What? That's not very insta-cool. Or, well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's hard to see what Ben is saying here. He's, he's sort of just painting in broad strokes. We, we being the professionals that we are, we will be able to make anything um, insta-rule. Yeah, but... whatever. So, do you guys have two card slots in your cameras? What? Two memory card slots. Super awesome. Uberbridemagazine.com's total bridal prep blog had this list of 200 questions you should never not ask your wedding photographer. And it's like... Digital? Oh, oh no, no, no. Oh, oh wow, no, I'm no. going to need more no, coffee. No, 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 no. So, you do have two cards? Yeah, yeah, we have two. Dude, that's not cards. really what she's asking. Shh, Dwayne, it's true. Yeah, okay. So, how many pictures do I get when it's all done? Do I get my own website and domain name with them too? Um, well, the total uh, picture number will vary a lot depending on. Enough. Uh, the... You will get enough photos. But, I, I mean, uh, we, I mean, that's not really what. Okay, cool. And, like, you guys are gonna, like. Oh, hold on. Would you look at that? I'm getting a call. Tell you what, uh, I will just let my associate speak for me. I'll be back as soon as I can. Okay, thanks. Sure, whatever. Ben? Ben? Wait! Wait! Uh, <clears throat> okay, well, since I am speaking for Ben and I both, let me just say that I will do everything that you want. Hello. And I... Hello. Sorry, I'm late, Missy. Brooks, what, what the heck are you... My name's Brooks, and I'm Ben's associate, who will be speaking for him. What? Is there anything I can do for you, Missy, to uh, alienate your concerns about the three Caballeros photography studio? Whoa, whoa, no, no, no. That That is not our name. Okay, and who are you now? The name is Brooks, but you can call me Brooklyn if that makes me seem more hoity-torty to you. Ew. 
hoity-toity? What does that even mean? Uh, he, um, that is, Brooklyn here does not really do, um... Okay, so now that we've gotten the formalities out of the way, we need to go over the details of the big day. Let's talk about the food. Who, uh, we are gonna need th probably six meals on the day of the wedding. Six? six? Well, sure. A growing boy has to eat. You're bringing boys along, too? Nope. <laughs> Just these two princesses. Whoa. Hold on. There will not be anyone looking more regal than me at my wedding. Okay, I'm, I'm just gonna check my recorder here. Get me out of here. And you guys will like get a great shot of me looking amazing at like the kiss, right? Oh, oh of course. We will capture you and the groom partaking of the traditional first kiss uh, of- no. I mean, I guess if you get Damien in there too, that's okay. Aw, thanks babe. Damien! What have I told you about calling me that in public? Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, Aman Amanda? <sighs> Look, I really need the photo of the first kiss to be more, like, oriented towards me and me looking amazing. Uh, oh, my mother wants to know about group family photos and... Day me in! What is the rule about your mother? Uh, to, 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 to never speak her name ever? Then why do you keep talking about her? Uh, uh... Okay, everyone got all that sorted out now? Everything copacetic? Copa what? Okay, so let's get the contract signed and that down payment sorted out, shall we? Spoiler alert, you haven't got the job yet, dude. Oh, I think you mean spoiled alert. I'm leaving. I have to get my extensions done in ten minutes anyway. Damien, go start the seat heaters and the Escalade warming. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm on it. Remember, medium heat, not high. These yoga pants are much thinner than your raw denim jeans. Uh, yes, Amanda. Wait, 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 wait. The, the, the contract, I, I have it right here, and, and you don't have a lot of time left to hire a photographer since you fired the previous photographer, and, and the wedding is this weekend. Fine. But I had better look awesome in these photos. Yes! <laughs> You didn't tell me she fired the- Yeah, 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 that, that's that's not important. The important thing is we barely got that job. You guys ruined it. I, I, I can't believe we managed to book that gig. That was a disaster. Now hold on, hold on there, man. I, I've never even- Yeah, Dwayne, how dare you blame dear, sweet, innocent Brooklyn for your shortcomings? My- my short? Yeah, man, just because you're a little wee girl doesn't mean- Hey, I am not short. Well, I hope you two are happy. I have- Never, ever been kicked out of a coffee house before. Do you know how hard it is to get kicked out of a coffee house? We're sorry. Man, I can't take you two anywhere. Dwayne, hand me that wedding address, and you two just sit back there and think about what you did. <laughs> um, wedding address? Gimme, give gimme give that thing, gimme that thing. Close your eyes, lie down, relax. You find yourself in an apartment. Well, it's more of a back house. A studio house, some might call it. Just one room plus a bathroom. You're lying on a bed provided to you by a landlord or a landlord's wife. It was a little unclear to you how much of a joint project the furnishings in this little apartment were. Like, there's a framed picture of flowers hanging on the wall that certainly doesn't seem like the landlord's doing. But on the other hand, the landlord's wife is listed as the landlord on the lease, and you write the checks to her. But also, you haven't seen or heard from the landlord's wife since the day she showed you the apartment, whereas the landlord himself has made contact several times. In fact, he just called you the other day to say that your rent is going up by 50 bucks a month. And also, the lease expired months ago, so the line separating landlord and landlord's wife is very hazy. You look at the refrigerator looming at the end of your bed like the monolith at the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey, an observation you already used in a tweet months ago. But for the tweet, you included a picture which kept you from having to clarify that while your refrigerator is big and rectangular like the monolith, it isn't black. It's just a regular white refrigerator. 
It's got exactly one magnet on it that is being used to hold up the most recent pictures of the two kids you sponsor. Although you haven't received anything in the mail about them for a long time, so you suspect that actually these are not the most recent pictures of them. These are just the most recent pictures you have because you forgot to update your mailing address on the website of the organization through which you sponsor them. But the money for them still leaves your bank account every month, so as long as that part is working, that's fine, right? You could write letters to the kids more often, though. You should. As you gaze at the refrigerator, and really the word look would be more appropriate, so as you look at your refrigerator, your neighbor begins to blast his radio while he works on the classic car in his backyard. The song on the radio is, of course, Love by Kendrick Lamar, whereas last year at this time it seemed as if the song on your neighbor's radio was always Black Beatles. So in this way, you are again reminded of the passing of time and how everything changes, even the popularity of certain songs. As your neighbor clanks fruitlessly on his classic car with a wrench or something, you recall the first time you spoke to him and how he gave you some of his shirts. You also recall how he worked on your car and did not fix it, but cussed atypically, if not particularly creatively. You paid him anyway and then limped your car to a mechanic better equipped to deal with the rust that your neighbor found so very, very vexing. Which reminds you of your recent tire troubles. You forgot to bring the wheel with you to the tire place, so one of the workers had to drive you back to your house to get it. He told you he was born in Poland, so you risked being accused of stereotyping and asked him if he was into metal, quickly running down a list of Polish metal bands you're aware of, starting with Bathory. Your gamble paid off, and it turned out he was into metal. So that's what you talked about for the rest of your time together in his surprising commuter car, a red Mini Cooper filled with Del Taco garbage. Fortunately, he did not catch your mistake about where Bathory is from. When you looked them up later, you discovered they were from Sweden. Then you were like, well, they're named after Countess Bathory, who was that lady from Poland who bathed in the blood of beautiful girls in order to remain young. But no, you were wrong about that too, because Countess Bathory was from Hungary. So first wave black metal band Bathory had nothing to do with Poland, nothing. Also looking back, you're pretty sure you mentioned Venom as a Polish metal band too, which is also wrong. Venom was from England, but you'll give yourself the benefit of a doubt and assume you meant to say Vader, who are from Poland. You really did think both the band and the Lady Bathory were from Poland, though, and that is to your great shame. But yeah, that tire set you back, so now you're trying to live on Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Frozen Waffles until your next paycheck. The Cinnamon Toast Crunch was on a pretty good sale, so were the Frozen Waffles, actually. You went for Ego instead of the knockoff store brand for the first time in a long time because they were actually the same price. You thought you'd have English muffins too, but one whole sleeve of them in your cupboard was mold-ridden when you were taking stock of your food stores earlier today, so those had to be tossed. And by tossed, I mean that you had to take the lid off of your garbage can and manually stuff them down in among the other garbage because the can is getting pretty full, but you don't have a lot of options because even though you dutifully wheeled the big garbage can out to the curb on the night before garbage day, the lazy garbage men ignored it, and it's actually still sitting out there on the curb, a stark reminder of the garbage men's failure every time you leave your house or come home. One of the many neighborhood dogs begins to bark. You are adept at recognizing at least three distinct barks that disrupt your rest. This is the most annoying one, the bark that sounds like a loud wheeze. Fortunately, you have a solution. You go to your favorites list on your web browser and click the link that guides you to the YouTube video of 10 solid hours of pink noise, which is like white noise but pitched a little lower. The pink noise blots out the bark and your neighbor's radio and his classic car clanking. It blots out everything, even just running through your weak laptop speakers. Sometimes if there's enough of a racket, you're forced to run the pink noise through your old stereo speakers to increase its blotting power. But not right now, for now the laptop speakers are up to the task. With the disruptive neighborhood sounds effectively eliminated, you are now free to return to wondering who else you've told that Countess Elizabeth Bathory was Polish. And who have you told that the band Bathory was Polish? There's no way of knowing, and there's no way to fix it now, certainly. Maybe the only solution is to make an effort to tell everyone you know that the band Bathory was Swedish and Countess Elizabeth Bathory was Hungarian. And you'll just have to pray that you're able to reach them before they embarrass themselves in front of a real Polish guy like you did. Because what if they do say Bathory or Countess Bathory was Polish in front of a real Polish guy and he's not as gracious as the Polish Discount Tire Center employee? Or maybe he knows more about those two Bathories than the Discount Tire Center guy did and he calls them out on it. He's like, those batteries aren't Polish. And then the people who got the information from you immediately finger you as the source of the misinformation. And they drop your name without a second thought. And then them and the Polish guy share a laugh about how far off you were. 
and how you somehow managed to be wrong on both counts. Because look, you knew the great writer Bruno Schultz was Polish, but you didn't think the Discount Tire guy seemed like a literature fan, and maybe that was stereotyping, maybe you were wrong to assume that. But you thought metal seemed like a safer bet, and you were right. He loved metal. He used to be in several metal bands. He even went on a few tours with Cannibal Corpse. But if you had gone with Schultz first, at least you would have been accurately identifying him as a product of Poland, unlike what you did with Bathory, which was inaccurately identify them as a product of Poland. Right in front of a real Polish guy, to a real Polish guy, you fool! But he didn't seem to notice, he just seemed to accept it. But he was probably just being nice. Did you mention Venom, or was that him? Or did he mention Vader, but you just mentally mixed them up with Venom? That's probably what happened. But when he was talking about Behemoth, were you mixing them up with Leviathan? That would be pretty understandable, especially for a semi-regular Job reader, but still. You kick your socks off under your covers. There are at least two other pairs of socks already down there. You adjust the afghan your grandma crocheted for you down a little bit so that its tasselly fringe parts don't tickle your face. You turn off the pink noise and turn on a podcast about the Picatrix. You lie down and close your eyes. Then you briefly return to your computer to see if maybe modern-day Poland was part of Hungary when Countess Bathory was alive. But no, the land she held was all in modern-day Hungary, Slovakia, and Romania. So you were wrong in every way. And now, open your eyes. Return to the drab reality of your real life, but as you do, take the peace of knowing how little, in general, you're really missing out on with you this month. Even when you're inside of one, or more. Doors, 